This is Pastor Bill Haynes, and I want to welcome you to the Words of Grace Media Ministry. I want to make one clarification related to this sermon you're about to listen to on Hebrews 7. In it, I refer uh, to, the, to the ten tribes of Israel, and I know well there are twelve tribes of Israel. I guess I got carried away with the fact that uh, Abraham was paying a tenth to Melchizedek, and the ten just stuck in my mind. So as you listen to this sermon, uh, where you hear the ten tribes, please, in your mind, say the twelve tribes. Thank you very much. God bless you. I hope you enjoy this message. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. That is correct in the bulletin today. Last week, somebody's dyslexia kicked in, and they had three, one through seven, instead of seven, one through three. And uh, So anyway, several of you got confused on that, so I want to be sure it was right this week. And it is seven, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now, of course, last week, we looked at chapter 7, 1 through 3. And we looked at those verses, and we talked about the, the type. We, we established the type of Melchizedek as a type for Christ. Now, now, that word type sometimes is confusing to people, and I want to be sure you understand that. What it means is it is a picture or it is a foreshadowing of uh, Jesus Christ in one way or another. Now, a lot of the Old Testament represents types of Christ. Uh, for instance, the, uh, the whole sacrificial system. When the lamb was offered as a, on the Day of Atonement for the forgiveness and the remission of sins, that was a type of the lamb that was yet to come, the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. And so what you have in the Old Testament many times are pictures visual things, real things that point to Jesus Christ. I was interested this week, I had several friends that called who had uh, know that I'm preaching through Hebrews, know that I'd gotten to this, and they said, okay, are you to Melchizedek yet? And I said, yes, I got there la uh, today or last week, last Sunday. And he said, and both of them asked me, they said, well, do you believe that Melchizedek was a real man, a real priest, a real king? And, and I answered that in the affirmative. Yes, I do. There's very little information about him, but he is there as a real person and as a type of Christ. Now, some uh, translators believe that Melchizedek was not a king at all, not a, a real living king in that day, nor priest in that day, but Melchizedek was a, a literal uh, pre-incarnation manifestation of Jesus Christ, uh, that he is sort of a, uh, an appearing before his incarnation before his birth in Bethlehem. Uh, I guess in some ways that is a legitimate translation, a, a legitimate interpretation of that, but it's not what I see as the writer of Hebrews dealing with. The writer of Hebrews presents him as a real man, a real priest, and a real king. And we saw last week five things that really are pointed to by this man Melchizedek, who just, as I had Todd Reed is the scripture reading today, the uh, absolute uh, only reference to him outside of Psalms and Hebrews, and that's the historical reference in Genesis chapter 14. And there he is in just a few verses. He's on the scene out of nowhere, and he's never mentioned again. He comes and he goes, and there's no other reference to him. There's no reference to his birth, his lineage, his heritage. There's no reference to his death or where he's buried. He's just on the scene and then off of the scene again. But that's important as he serves as a type of Jesus Christ. And in those first three verses, we saw those five things. We saw that Melchizedek's priesthood was universal. 
It was not national. The priesthood of the Levitical priesthood was a national priesthood. It was tied intrinsically and totally to the nation of Israel. It was a national thing. But in Melchizedek, we see a universal priesthood. There is no limitation to a national people. We saw, secondly, that Melchizedek's priest was royal. He was not only a priest, but he was also a king. The priests in the Levitical system were not kings, and the kings in the Davidic line were not priests, and they could not intermingle their responsibilities. Priests did priestly work, kings did kingly work, but here is Melchizedek, who is a priest of the Most High God, and he's also king of Salem. Later on, we will have Jesus Christ presented clearly in this book as the priest, the great high priest, and we've already had him presented that way to some extent, it'll come even more, but he's not just a great high priest, but he is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is also the one who rules and reigns for all of eternity. The priesthood and the kingship come together in Jesus Christ as they do in Melchizedek, thus serving as a, a, a type of Christ who is yet to come. Thirdly, we saw that Melchizedek's priesthood was righteous and peaceful. His name means, Melchizedek means, uh, a king of, of, uh, of righteousness. The, the king of righteousness. And he is called the king of Salem, and Salem means peace. And so we see that his name and his place all reflect what Christ is. He is a priest of righteousness. He brings us his righteousness. He clothes us in his righteousness. And he's the king of peace. Jesus Christ is the king who brings peace, peace with God and the peace of God. And so again, he serves as a type in that manner. Fourthly, we saw that Melchizedek's priesthood was personal. It was not hereditary. It was placed on him by the Most High God. There's no lineage there. There's no heritage there that would give us any indication as him being, uh, of him inheriting that position. In Israel, the king was in the kingly line of David. And if you were a son of David, the oldest son of David, you were the rightful heir of the throne in Israel. But with Melchizedek, there's no, there's no heritage, there's no lineage. He is a king without, without a, a heredity of it. He's made that personally by the Most High God. And then fifthly, we saw that Melchizedek's priesthood is eternal, not temporary. Uh, and here it talks about, and we're going to see that more in the latter part of these verses today. We're going to see that he is a king. His kinghood is eternal in the sense of we don't ever hear of it ending. We don't hear of him dying. We hear of no end coming to it. Now, I want you to understand this. I believe that Melchizedek, as a real person, as a real priest and a real king, died. I don't believe he is still walking around the Middle East somewhere alive forevermore, that he is a king without death, that he is a king who will live forever without ever having experienced physical death. No, as a real person, he physically died. But the point is not that he lives forever in a literal sense. The point is there is no reference, there is no recording, there is no indication that he dies, and so his kingship is eternal. It is not temporal like all the kings of Israel. Now, picking up in verse 4, the writer of the Hebrews deals with, and going through verse 10, he, he basically deals with things that prove the superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood and thus the superiority of Christ's priesthood as a type 
of Christ who is yet to come. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 4. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descendant from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in, the case, in, in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness, witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham... Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now there's some, can you understand why back in chapter 5 when he brought up Melchizedek and then he realized they were dull of hearing and lazy in their spiritual growth that he said, you're just not ready for this? This is not light stuff to get a real clear understanding of why this is important and why the writer spends so much time on somebody that occupies about 10 or uh, not even 10 verses in the Old Testament to let us know who he is. But the writer to Hebrews makes such an important emphasis on him. You cannot be lazy. You cannot be dull of hearing. You cannot be spiritually insensitive and understand the importance and the truth of Melchizedek. You must understand that. So he comes back here and he says, here are the five things about the priesthood of Melchizedek. And in verses 4 through 10, he wants to prove to us that superiority. He does that, first of all, by talking about the fact that Abraham gave a, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. He does that in verses 4 through 6a. He said, observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, the head of the nation, the one who, who is going to be given the promises just a little later on for all his, his posterity that will come and will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, the one who will be in the lineage of the Messiah who is yet to come, this one who is the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils and indeed of the sons of Levi, Levi who received the priest's office have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, Although these are descended from Abraham, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. He's dealing with the fact that Levi, who was the one, the tribe, the people, the, the priest, who received tenths from, a tenth from all the people, they received tithes from all the people, that even Levi through his father Abraham, in whom uh, who he is in Abraham, through Jacob, if you remember. Uh, he's several generations away yet from being born, and yet Levi, because he's in the loins of his father Abraham, has in, in symbolic form paid tithes to Melchizedek. And he says that's very important that we grasp that. That's very under, important that we understand why Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek because in doing so, he was acknowledging that he is greater. He is above. He is the, the priest and king of the Most High God. And Abraham is acknowledging that before Abraham even had a full understanding of all that God was going to do in his life. 
and, and Levi, you remember how the tribes were broken up? The, the ten tribes of Israel, when they went into the promised land, the, the land was divided up among them in nine portions. All the other sons of, of Jacob, all the other leaders of the various tribes of Israel received their portion of land. And they were to live and receive their, their income, if you will, off the land. But those nine tribes were to pay tithes to the Levitical priest, to the priesthood who had no land. They were not to be occupied with daily occupations. They were not to be carrying out a vocation of farming or raising herds and, and, and crops and things. They were to be totally committed to and occupied with nothing but the worship of God and the leading of the people to the worship of God and effecting for them through the sacrifices the forgiveness of sin. The Levites were to do nothing but serve God day and night, 365 days a year. That was to be their focus. And because of that, they still had to eat. They still had to have places to live. They had to be supported. And so the other tribes tithed to the Levites so that they might be able to carry out their function. They might be able to live. But the writer here says to Hebrews, especially in verse 9 and 10, says, and in this case, mortal men receive tithes. That is, the, the, the Levites are mortal men. They receive tithes from their brethren. And in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. There's no indication of when Melchizedek died, and so symbolically it is eternal. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid them. So do you see here what he's saying is, that even those who receive the tithes and carry out worship, in their being in the loins of their father Abraham, were acknowledging that the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is a type and pointing to the priesthood of Jesus Christ, is a greater one than they are, is a more important priesthood than even their priesthood. Now in Israel, there was nothing more important than the Levitical priesthood. There was nothing more important than the priest who offered the sacrifices. But the writer here is saying to this group of Hebrew Christians, you need to understand that God was showing us even before the Levitical priesthood was established, even when Abraham was still wandering following the promises of God, you need to understand that he was already pointing to one that is greater, one that is yet to come, a priest that is superior to all priests, a priest who will not offer sacrifices of lambs and other animals on behalf of the people, but a priest who will offer himself and Levi and Abraham are acknowledging that through their giving of a tithe even before they understood it because they were giving tithes in advance, if you will, to the, the priest, the high priest, the great high priest, the only one who could fully and completely and effectually bring about the forgiveness of sins. So we see that that first of all, he proves it by, by showing that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek and that was vitally important in understanding this for the children of, of, of the Hebrews that he's writing to who have become believers. The second thing he says here is I want you to see that not only did Abraham pay tithes to Melchizedek, but Melchizedek blessed Abraham in verses uh, 6b and 7, the latter part of verse 6 and verse 7. And, 
and he blessed the one who had the promises. Abram is the one who possesses the promises. And in, in Judaism, there is none greater than Abraham. There is none greater than the one who is considered the father of the faith. There is none greater and looked upon than Abraham and then maybe Moses. But here, the writer says, I want you to see that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the truth of the matter is, the greater always blesses the lesser. The lesser cannot bless the greater. Now, I know we sing a song, and, and this troubles some people. You've all asked me this after we've sung it. We don't sing it real often, but we do occasionally. And I like the song. And when properly understood, it's okay. But we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And I've had several of you come to me and say, wait, Bill, how do we bless God? We're the lesser. He's the greater. He blesses us. How do we bless him? Well, if you understand, that is a quoting the scripture, so it has to be true. But the term there, bless the Lord, O my soul, is not talking about us somehow being able to bless God with something he doesn't have or give God something that he is in need of that we possess and he doesn't have. But that blessing of God is praising him. It's worshiping him. It's acknowledging to him the glory that is his, and we just simply reflect back his glory. And we bless the Lord, O oh my soul, by worshiping and by praising him and by honoring him. But the point here is being made that this priesthood, which blesses Abraham, is one again that is based not on heredity, but on personal qualifications. In the church of Jesus Christ, the role of elder, pastor, teaching elder, the role of leading elder who, who helps lead and, and minister within the body, even the role of deacon are roles that are delineated not by heredity but by spiritual qualifications. Now, we're not priests, but we do serve in a, in a ministerial role of proclaiming the word, but it's not because my daddy was a preacher that I'm now a pastor. My dad was not. My dad was a deacon, but he was not a pastor. And my son, Will, is not going to be a pastor. It doesn't look like because God has not placed a call upon his life. He's going, he desires to be a lawyer. I don't understand that. Where's that lawyer at? But uh, anyway, I saw him here a while ago. I don't understand that necessarily, although I wanted to be that too before God changed my heart. But he doesn't automatically become a pastor because his father is a pastor. And he's showing here that it's those who are personally qualified by God to minister, and that's exactly what happens with Melchizedek. He worked with Melchizedek in the same way. He was personally qualified to be what he was. His lineage had nothing to do with God's choosing him and sending him to bless Abraham. He was superior, and therefore he blessed Abraham. So we see it's because... It's because of an understanding that Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. That's proving those first five things I talked about, that he is a priest in the lineage, in the type of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, again, he talks about Melchizedek's priesthood being eternal. In verse 8, he says, In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in, the case, in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. That he lives on. Uh, 
even if the Levitical priest had not been limited to stepping down when they administered 25 years or at 50 years of age that we talked about last week. Even if there was not that limitation that they became a priest at 25, they retired at 50. Even if they didn't have to do that, they would cease ministering when they died, when their life was over. That priesthood was a temporary priesthood and their priests were temporary in everything they did. When the Jews paid tithes to the priest, all the priests ultimately and eventually died. That's just the fact and the way things were. But in this priesthood, the picture is at least given in type form. Typically, this priest lives on. Not, not literally, because we know that that does not happen. Melchizedek was an, had the effect of the fall in his life, just like every one of us do. And physical death is a reality. If the Lord doesn't return again before we die, physical death is a reality that we will face. But in type form, Melchizedek has no beginning, has no ending. He has a picture of an eternal priesthood of which Jesus Christ is the reality. Folks, when we think about the priesthood of Jesus Christ, it's not one that he got because he was in the line of Levi. He was not. It's not one that he is a priest because his daddy was a priest. His daddy, earthly father, was a carpenter. His true father was God. I mean, he was merely a step, uh, stepson, if you will, of, of, of Joseph, who cared for him in the first years of his life, administered to him by helping rear him with his mother Mary. But in reality, this true priest, Jesus Christ, has no beginning and has no end. The Word says in John, John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him was not anything created that was created. Jesus Christ is an eternal being, and He is eternal priest who functions as our priest through the cross. Who, I love the song the choir sang this morning, and Susan, that, that, that it's all wrapped up in the blood of Christ. That is the blood sacrifice that really counts. That is the blood sacrifice that really does something completely. The other, the, the lambs, and we'll see this more in Hebrews, because this is a very important emphasis on Hebrews. He wants these people to understand this. The lambs were important in their time, but the lambs have now been fulfilled in the lamb. The blood of the lamb brought about a symbolic forgiveness of sin that all the people experienced on the day of atonement when they would go in and the priest would off, the high priest would offer that sacrifice. But friend, it had to be done again the next year. It was not effectual. It was symbolic. It was not in reality. It was pointing to the one that was yet to come. And every time a little lamb was slain on that day, if they had been truly understanding what was taking place, they would have been understanding that this is just talking about that which is yet to come. This is just talking about a real lamb. This is a lamb that's spotless and blameless as, and, and without flaw as much as we can find. But there is coming a lamb who has no blemish, who has no flaw, who has no sin, who has no needs. And he is coming to die and to shed his blood that we might live. 
that we might have eternal life. That we might walk in him in this life and know him even greater in the life to come. And he's saying we should have seen this. You should have seen this. Our, our rabbis and our priests and our leaders should have seen that because Melchizedek was way back there in the life of Abraham and it's always pointing to the great high priest who is to come, not because of inheritance, but because of who he is. Not the son of Levi, but the son of the most high God, the priest of the most high God the priest of our redemption and the priest of our salvation and the priest of our protection and the priest that will live for all eternity. Melchizedek has a picture of it, symbolically of it, but Jesus Christ in the reality. I mean, you know, he's talking to him about Levi having been in the loins of Abraham and so in that sense, Levi gave tithes to Melchizedek and he's saying that, you have to understand, was showing that Melchizedek's priesthood, of which Christ is in that order, is greater than Lev Levitical priesthood. I've told this story before, but I'll never forget it as long as I live. When I was in Florida and had the chance to minister to several uh, people of Jewish descent, one of them particularly was married to a Christian girl who was part of our church and, and, and he was a little combative, if you say, I guess you could say. And, and one day he got a lot more humble because he was put in jail for lack of child support from a marriage that he'd been out of for about 25 years. But he was thrown in jail for failure to pay uh, child support. He thought it was terrible, and I guess I did too at the moment, but it turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened. He started calling me. And he started saying, will you pray for me to get out of here? And I said, sure, I'll pray for you. I didn't add the get out of here part. Uh, but I'll pray for you. And after a while, he said, will you come visit me? And I said, sure, I'll come visit you. And he called me back and said, will you bring me two Bibles when you come? And I said, okay, what, what do you want two Bibles for? He said, well, I want, I want you to go by the Jewish bookstore in Maitland and buy a copy of my Bible, and I want you to bring a copy of your Bible. And, of course, what he meant was the Torah for him and, and the New Testament for me. And so I just went by. I went by and bought him a Torah, and I went by and, and I brought him a, a full Bible, not just, the, not just the New Testament. But I said, here's our Bible, and here's what you say is your Bible. And he started reading. He said, I'm going to read it from Genesis in my Bible all the way through your Bible. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's kind of a tough way to do it. I said, you're going to get bogged down in some of those genealogies and all. Uh, why don't you just start in, in my Bible since you know the Torah, you've been raised in that all your life. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to do it this way. So he did. So it went on for several months that I'd go talk to him. And, and, and finally one night he sat down because he had read through uh, Matthew, I think it was, and he came to the Passion Week and he said, he said, let me ask you something. Wasn't Jesus a Jew? And I said, Absolutely. He said, then why aren't y'all becoming us instead of trying to get us to become you? And we had a real conversation there. And I tried to explain to him, well, if you'll go to the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, 
He sort of reinterpreted the Passover. He said, the Passover has been this way, but now this is how it is. It's my body and my blood that is given. He is the fulfillment of the Passover. He's the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, and that's the only sacrifice we have today. And he didn't care for that much. But we talked some more, and finally his mother got all upset. He, now, he, understand this man's 50 years old, but his mother got upset that I was coming to see him in prison. And so she called the, chap, or the, the warden and said, if you keep letting that Baptist preacher in to see my son, I'm going to sue the prison system in Seminole County. So he calls me and he says, uh, Pastor, you can't come see him any longer. You can't come anymore. And I said, why not? He said, well, his mother has threatened to sue us if we allow you to come. I said, his mother, he's 50 years old. He said, yeah, but I just, we're just not going to run that risk. I said, so you mean to tell me that when he calls me and asks me to come see him as a 50-year-old man, I have to say, your mommy, your mommy won't let me? <laughs> and the, the warden said, wait, wait a minute, are you saying he's calling you and he's asking you to come? And I said, yeah, I get a collect call from the jail at least twice a week. And I'm paying for it. And he said, okay, then you keep coming. So he called her and said, he's asking him to come. And she said, okay, then I want a, I want a rabbi going to see him too. And he said, that's fine. We're, 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 we're very open in the prison system, Seminole County. So she called her rabbi who started going to see him on Monday and I would go see him on Thursday. And that went on for several weeks. And finally, one day he calls me, collect, and he says, Pastor, I wonder whether you got here uh, next week to tell you this, but I'm just going to tell you now, I can't have it because I, I, I wanted you to be the first one to know, but I've already told the cooks and I've already told a couple guards. And I've already, I said, what are you talking about? He said, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior last night. And I said, what? I said, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Called and got arrangements and got there. And we sat down and we talked. And he said, you know, as I read my Bible, still talking about it this way, as I read my Bible and your Bible, it seemed that your Bible interprets my Bible. I said, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good way to look at it. And he said, what you said about the, the Passover and the Lord's Supper, that began to make sense the more I read your Bible. And I said, well, that's good. So the Bible just showed you the truth. He said, well, sort of. He said, the rabbi helped a lot. And I said, I'm sure that's not what he intended to do. But I said, how did the rabbi help? And he said, well, that two weeks ago when he was in, I said to him, I said, what do we do about our sins? And he said, don't worry about them. Doesn't matter. No big deal. And he said, well, I read the Torah and I read the, 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 the old covenant books and the prophets and the, and the wisdom literature and, and I see their sacrifices being offered for our sins and, and yet we don't offer sacrifices anymore. He said, no, the temple's been destroyed. There are no more sacrifices. There are no more altars. Uh, we just don't worry about it. He said, but what about our sins? And he said, don't worry about it. He said, you know, I got to thinking, I'm a sinner. I better worry about it. And I realized that in your Bible, 
it says that there is a forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. There is an atoning work of Christ done on the cross, and that sin can be forgiven. And I just realized that since we can't offer sacrifices anymore, and you have the only sacrifice that can be offered to me, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I better put my faith in that sacrifice, not in sacrifices that can't be offered anymore. And I came to faith in Christ. The rabbi wasn't happy. Mother wasn't happy, but he was in Christ because that's the only effectual sacrifice. It's the only sacrifice that is eternal. The others were temporal pictures of that was yet to come. Christ's sacrifice and Christ's priesthood is an eternal priesthood, an eternal sacrifice. And it is the only sacrifice that will be effectual for dealing with our sins. Your sins, my sins. It's the only sacrifice. Your sacrifice of giving money does nothing. Your sacrifice of saying, well, I give my time to go on mission trips and I, I give my money to the to the." church and to the building program and, and I sacrifice we use that word sacrificial giving those sacrifices are not effectual in any way to deal with your sin they don't make you right with God only the sacrifice of Christ and only when that is effectually applied to your life by the Holy Spirit and you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone is there forgiveness? And is there eternal life? What a glorious truth. What a glorious priesthood. What a glorious gift that is given to us that we might believe in Him and Him alone for our salvation. Let's pray together. Father, mm, how beautiful it is to see the illustration, the picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pictured years earlier, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in Melchizedek. From the very beginning, Immediately after the fall, you promised a solution to the fall. When you said to Satan, you will crush Eve's seed's heel, but he will crush your head. Hmm. Way back at the beginning, right after the fall, you started making the promise. And you made the promises more real than Abraham and you showed us that throughout all the Old Testament. The promise was yet coming. The great seed was yet coming. And then Paul tells us that Abraham is indeed the father of the faith. And that if we are in Christ, we are indeed the children of Abraham. Oh. Blessings that we did not inherit. But blessings that were given to us by your work on the cross and by the Holy Spirit.
thank you, Father, for that. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning who don't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their lives and will do your work in their lives today. Pray for others, Lord. You're leading to be a part of this church family and you've made that clear to them. And Father, I pray that they will be obedient to you and whatever it is you're saying to them. Father, I pray for every member of Grace Baptist Church that we will not be dull of hearing, that we will not be lazy spiritually, that we will not let all the things of this world, even good things, keep us from our walk with you. Keep us from making you preeminent in our lives. Strike down all the idols that we have because we all have them. Strike down the idols and rule supremely in our lives. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.